You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Good evening and welcome to the September 21st edition of Eye on the Triangle on 88.1 WKNC. The time is 7.03 and I'm your host, John Boyer. On tonight's program, we'll have campus events, the Restaurant Review and Gardening Minute, this week's sports, and a very special live VIP interview in the second half of the hour. We begin with Shackathon, which is a big event for campus and a big event for the station as well. We sent two of our reporters out to cover the story, and here's what we found out. Every year, when summer turns to fall, the annual week-long event Shackathon is held in the Brickyard. Over 20 clubs have combined their resources and talents to create 16 shacks. Manning the shacks 24 hours a day for the whole week, these students solicit donations from passersby in an effort to raise money for the NC State chapter of Habitat for Humanity. To find out more about this event, we talked to Amber Johnson, Publicity Coordinator, Will McGugan, NC State Habitat for Humanity Chapter President, and Ashley Plummer, the Habitat for Humanity Treasurer. Shackathon is a week-long event. Different shacks are provided on the Brickyard with different organizations. Pretty much everyone just comes out and helps fundraise for the event. It goes to um, Habitat for Humanity to eliminate housing poverty to make affordable housing for ones that are in need. To get a spot at Shackathon, a club or organization that would like to participate must make a bid for their inclusion. To do so, they must raise money for entry, and they do this in a variety of ways. Ashley Plummer explains. Teams have to place a bid to get a shack, and it's the top 16 organizations that bid the most money. I want to say the lowest bid was about $200 this year. So if a team goes in, we had maybe 18 shacks or 18 organizations that wanted to get a shack. NC Skate, for instance, they didn't bid enough to get their own shack, so they just teamed up with other organizations that were willing to team up with them so they could get a shack and participate. Top 16 organizations that bid the most money get a shack and get to participate. It can be their families donating, or they can get like corporate sponsors and stuff like that to make the most money to get a bid. The money that is collected by the shacks during the week is collected at the end of each day and tabulated at the shack headquarters, or the Habitat for Humanity shack. These daily totals are displayed in front of the Habitat shack, and once the week is over, the money is sent to the Wake County chapter of Habitat for Humanity, which then puts it back into the building of new houses for the people of Wake County. Due to the recession, this year is expected to be less successful than previous years. Will McGugan explains. Two years ago, we had a $25,000 shackathon. Last year, we had eighteen. This year, we're expecting 15, 16 at best. Along with the challenge of trying to raise money in a down economy, the Habitat folks have also faced the challenge of organizing their event in the Brickyard, which this semester has proved especially difficult due to the addition of its newest resident, the Brickyard Bubble. The Bubble is a large shack of sorts, which sits smack dab in the middle of the Brickyard to handle the diners who have been displaced by the atrium renovation. Again, Will McGugan. This year it's a little bit different. We've got the gigantic bubble in the Brickyard, and so we had to spread it out. Normally we have just a single shack village of 16 shacks and three rows of five plus an extra shack on the end. This year it just spread us out into miniature villages, where it's just a little bit more difficult to get that community feel and just to make sure everybody's on the same page. We still have the same number of shacks, we've still got the same safety features, and we've still got just a great group of people that have come out and helped us and built houses put up with more difficulty than any other shackathon in recent memory, and we're hoping it's going to be a great year. And it is shaping up to be a good year. Already on day one of Shackathon, a variety of tactics have begun to emerge on how best to get passersby to part with their pocket change. Ashley Plummer describes. Bake sales and cornhole and uh, getting ready for the rest of the week. I think most of the intense fundraising is going to start tomorrow. T-shirt sales, probably cornhole tournaments. One shack wants to have a slip and slide. I hope they're going to charge people for that. Um, So stuff like that, fun things. In its 20th year, Shackathon is shaping up to be another exciting week of students 
students soliciting donations as they raise money to help provide houses to people who can't afford them. This great philanthropic event is something that students look forward to all year. So if you find yourself in the Brickyard this week, make sure you visit WKNC and all the other cool shacks that students have created. But be prepared to empty your pockets in the name of this great cause. Will McGugan. Definitely come out and check out Shackathon. It's a great event. Come and chill at the Habitat Shack. If you got some change, donate it. If not, just come in. Have a good cause. For Eye on the Triangle, this has been Mason Morris and Chris Chaffee. And that was a story about Shackathon. Now, for this week's community calendar, we got lots of stuff to talk about here. As always, on September 22nd, tomorrow, the Campus Farmer's Market will be held in the Brickyard. Don't miss out on all the exciting products the vendors will be offering in front of the DHL Library from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. On Thursday, September 23rd at 7.30 in room 318 at the Tally Student Center, there will be a program called An Evening with Scott Sutton, Stories from Darfur. Located in the middle of Africa, Sudan is one of the poorest and most desolate countries in the world, and Scott Sutton will take you on a journey to discover this remote land through engaging stories and pictures from his years as a white kid growing up in this country. He will also discuss the ongoing violent crisis in the region. Also, on Thursday evening at 7.30 p.m. in the Brickyard, in the brickyard there will be an acoustic set from artist Brett Harris, who is part of the Drug Horse Collective. Uh, this is a free show, and this will be in front of the, in front of the WKNC shack. Uh, it is open to all students, faculty, staff, and members of the community. So come down to the Brickyard and check that out. On Saturday, September 25th at 1 p.m., the official Hillsborough Street reopening celebration will begin. It's called the Living Up... Living it, Live It Up Festival and neighbors, business owners, students, faculty, staff, and other Raleigh citizens will gather in celebration of the recently completed street renovation project. Also, on Sunday, September 26th, the Carborough Music Festival will be taking over the city of Carborough. Hundreds of performers will be descending upon the town to bring thousands of people together to enjoy a day of free music and fun. For more information about that event, you can check out their website, Google Search, Carborough Music Festival. Now it is time for uh, for Mark and his restaurant review. Thank you very much, Chris. Attention all stingy and lazy college students. Take out the bowl of instant ramen from the microwave right now. Throw away the fetid and moldy Chinese takeout from your mini fridge right now. If there is one quintessential thing that symbolizes college life besides beer and cheesy Wolfpack references, it could very well be really crappy Chinese food. However, there's one restaurant that is trying to redefine the meaning of quick Asian food. I'm talking about David's Dumpling the Noodle Bar. Strategically located by the Hillsboro and Oberlin traffic circle, D- David's Dumpling the Noodle Bar specializes in a mix of traditional East Asian noodle dishes and contemporary Asian fusion. David Mao, a legend in the Raleigh fine dining scene since 1970, quickly ditched his premature retirement to open this restaurant which has opened a month ago. The staples on the menu include several types of stir-fry, an assortment of Chinese dumplings, and a list of soups that makes Campbell's not sound so mm-mm good. The layout of the restaurant is impeccable, and and in the center is a large bar that's open until 1 a.m. on Friday and Saturday. Upon entering, I thought I was in a nice, posh restaurant I'd find somewhere downtown. However, Everything was brought back to reality when I noticed a hostess on the phone writing down takeout orders. Nowhere else have I seen a restaurant owned by a renowned chef with the audacity to do takeout. 
I have a feeling I will exploit this system in the future. I sat at the noodle bar and ordered my new obsession, a Vietnamese noodle dish called pho. Pho, unfortunately, gets an insert joke here type of rap regarding its pronunciation. But once you get over the name, just sipping on the broth brings revelation. The pho recipe deviates from place to place. But for the most part, it has rice noodles, bean sprouts, cilantro, basil, lime, chili, scallion, and meat, which is all immersed in a broth that grandma couldn't even compete against. On a different occasion, I tried the roasted pork and egg dumpling soup, which I really enjoyed. The dense egg noodles and fatty pork made a delicious and really filling combo. I was honestly confused while eating at the noodle bar. The food was surprisingly good and most importantly cheap, but the ambiance did not have... Did not give the impression of some hole in the wall. The place is really classy, no doubt, but my check wouldn't have indicated that. For less than ten dollars, I ate extremely well. I guess Chairman David Mao is bringing some good, affordable food to the proletarians like me. Moreover, Mao does more than just noodles. On the dinner menu, there are specialties like steamed Chile- Chilean sea bass or filet mignon, which still won't exceed sixteen bucks. It would be insufficient if I didn't mention the beer and wine list. Mao offers 12 beers on tap and twice as much in bottle. Nothing spells true comfort like hot soup and cold beer. However, for the classier crowd, the bar has an extensive selection of wine and seven types of sake for the daring of you. Now, I want to clarify to my audience that I'm not an obese gastronomical fiend. Yes, I do, li- I do enjoy food, but I'm actually a pretty slender guy. However... I could easily see myself relapsing back into my childhood butterball days if I lived any closer to this restaurant. Thank you very much, and bon appetit. Thank you, Mark. Sounds great. Just a reminder, the opinions expressed are those of the author, not WKNC, Student Media, or NCSU. The author was not paid or otherwise compensated for his review. WKNC does not endorse any specific establishment it reviews and takes no responsibility for what you do with the information. Please consume alcohol legally and responsibly. Now back to Chris for the Gardening Minute. Thank you, John. As the summer turns to fall and the evenings become brisk, the avid gardener knows it's time to start planning for the winter. That's why on today's Gardening Minute, we will be discussing plants and planting methods that can, be, that can help prolong your growing season well into the winter months. As we all know, many plants will quickly recoil and die as soon as they get their first taste of frost. However, there are some plants that can be started in late September which will survive long past the first frost date. In some cases, plants can even survive the whole winter if you treat them right and take care to protect their root systems from the bitter cold. Some examples of these resilient late-season crops are collards, leaf lettuce, mustard, spinach, broccoli, radishes, and bunching onions. You can also grow a cover crop such as rye, wheat, or even rape. Radishes grow quickly and are hardy. A crop of radishes can reach maturity in 30 days or less, which makes now the perfect time to start them. Crops like broccoli, collards, spinach, and mustard, on the other hand, are well-suited to surviving the winter's frost. There are some simple things that you can do in your garden to make sure your plants are happy and healthy when winter blows its icy breath your way. The easiest weapon you can wield in your battle against the cold is mulching. By spread mulch around the base of your plants, the plants stay warmer. Mulch also discourages weeds from growing up at the base of your plants. The most common mulching materials are peat moss, bark, sawdust, or shredded newspapers. To properly spread your mulch, you must build your mulch layer about two inches tall around the base of your plant, and that should be all. 
Another trick for you to try if you don't have a garden already is to make a planter out of old tires. By stacking up several tires and filling a hole you've created with dirt, you can grow anything you want. Tires are excellent container for your winter garden because black rubber absorbs lots of sunlight, which keeps your plants toasty warm. Winter gardens can be fun and easy ways to keep your plot year-round green, and it doesn't take much work. With a little planning and a bit of work, you can have tasty greens long after the gray winter begins. And for today's Gardening Minute, I'm Chris. Thanks, Chris. We may have to revisit some of those tips once the weather actually gets cooler. And uh, welcome back. Once again, you're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm John Boyer. Let's go ahead and take a look at your weather right now. Right now it's fair and 83 degrees at RDU Airport. We're down from a high of 89 earlier today. Absolutely yucky. That's almost 15 degrees above average for this time of year. Uh, fall, the first day of fall is Wednesday. And a lot of people are wondering, hey, when is the weather actually going to feel like it? Uh, we, there is a pattern shift on the way, and we could see some fall-like temperatures late in the weekend. But in the meantime, tonight we're looking for a mostly clear sky with a low near 63 degrees. Some patchy fog tomorrow morning with a few clouds in the sky, but turning into a mostly sunny day with a high near 92. Yeah, that's right, 92 in late September. Wednesday night, partly cloudy, 66. We keep sunshine around for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Temperature Thursday, we're looking for 95, which could break a record. 92 on Friday, 91 on Saturday. But then once we move into Sunday, we'll see our temperatures down near 78 degrees with a chance of showers and thunderstorms. That's another thing we haven't seen in the forecast in a long time. But, you know, October's around the corner. Hopefully we'll get some more chances for rain because it's especially dry out there. In fact, right now Raleigh is in a moderate drought, and that could turn into a severe drought if we don't get some more rain. Now, coming up after the break, we'll have some sound bites from Shackathon, some more sports information for you, and also a live surprise VIP, as I said. But if you want to get in touch with the show because your opinions are important to us, find us on Twitter. It's WKNCEOT or WKNC881. Email publicaffairs at WKNC.org or find us on Facebook, Eye on the Triangle. We'll be right back after the break. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC88.1. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around NC State and the rest of the Triangle. On this week's Sound Bites, I, Chris Chaffee, and I, Mason Morris, explored the exciting event, Shackathon, to see how day one was going. My name is Ethan Bartlett. I'm representing student government, and I'm enjoying Shackathon. So, uh, what have you been doing so far here at Shackathon? Well, essentially, we are asking students here on campus if they have money available, whether it be like pennies, dimes, nickels, quarters, dollar bills, you name it, and whether they could part with it, give it to us. Give it to uh, Habitat for Humanity for a great cause. Now, uh, what have you guys been doing to try and like, solicit cash dollars from the said people? Well, we started off hoping that root beer pong would be the thing to draw people out to give money to Habitat for Humanity. However, we found out that what with class changes and busy schedules, simply harassing people and asking them for the money tends to work out a lot better. So how exactly have you been, quote, harassing people? Well, we jingle the, the change cups that we use, much like the bell ringers for uh, Salvation Army. We yell really loudly. We point people out and call out people that we know and tell them that if they don't give money, people will not have homes. Can you give me a demonstration about this? Like, uh, We can use uh, our general manager here, Tommy Anderson, who's standing about two feet away from us. Uh, can you just like pretend Tommy is a, uh, is a person of uh, my, uh, medium stature, who is walking through campus? He's actually like walking right now, so uh, just kind of like strolling by. So like, uh, if if he was strolling by, Ethan, how would you approach him? All right, 
whilst change jingling is occurring. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters, dollar bills, you name it, we take it. No amount is too small. You hear that jangle? You hear that jingle? That is the sound of hope. That is the sound of homes being built for homeless people. You can add to that hope. You can help out. Donate a dollar, 20 cents. No amount is too small. So now he hasn't given you any money yet. So how do you, like, quote, step up your game? Well, you can kind of look at people and tell whether I should step up my game or whether it's a lost cause and they simply don't have money iPod headphones tend to be a pretty good indication that I don't need to step up my game. Generally, I just let them keep walking and move on to a new person. Pennies, nickels, dimes, quarters. This has been Ethan Bartlett here at Shackathon 2010. Do you have anything to say before we move on? For those of you listening, Shackathon is going on all week. Scrounge in your car seats, scrounge in your desk drawers, whatever that may be. Bring out change, put it in your pockets, have it here on campus. Bring it out to Shackathon. Bring it out to Habitat for Humanity. Ethan is here, and Ethan is ready to accept change. All right. Thank you very much, Ethan. My name is Asir Abishuk, and I'm representing the teaching fellows at the Shackathon. All right. So you got to tell me about the Shack. Um, obviously, the listeners can't see it, but it is a giant Crayola box, a 180-count Crayola box. So tell me about your Shack. It's a Shack made, we made out of wood, and then we painted it with Crayola crayons because we're going to be teachers, and um, we thought like the crayons would be like a good lead-in for the Shackathon. And it's hollow on the inside, so we can sleep on the inside during the night. Great. So did you build this all on site? Uh, yes. We had to build it here within the square limitations of the Shack. So how early did you guys get out here? How long did it take you to build it. I wasn't here when they started building it, but we came here for after it was done. Has there been a consistent strategy to teaching fellows getting change from passersby? Yeah, this year we, we decided to um, bring the guitars out and to play. We usually just yell to people and be like, hey, come donate for talk to your man. And most of them do. And we have chips and cookies and stuff and people are interested in that. Did you guys plan this shack ahead of time to have the really great color scheme that is before us? Or was it like an impromptu thing yesterday? You were like, you know what, we're going to build a crayon box without any preparation. Yeah, because it's definitely the most attractive shack, if I do say so myself. Thank you very much. Um, we we did plan, our fundraising committee plans it out, and uh, we all like pitch in together and um, paint it on site. Is there anything you're looking forward to in the week ahead? Are you spending the night out here? Yes, I will spend the night out here, I think Thursday. Give me your name, please. Melissa Fosbury. What shack are you representing? The College of Management. Now, did you come out here yesterday to build your shack? I actually couldn't be here. So uh, can you tell me a little about the people that were here and how they built it? I know John Rufty. Rufty. Rufty Homes. Rufty Homes. I know they helped build it because we won last year, and so they came to help us build it. Oh, so you won. You collected the most money last year. Yes, we did. Okay, and so what was your technique, and do you feel like you'll be carrying that into this year? Essentially, we just kept, we did a bake sale last year. We actually, this year, started to sell koozies, t-shirts, and croquis. Are you going to be spending the night at the shack? No, I will not be. I'm doing early morning shifts and afternoon shifts. You have it staffed 24 hours a day, no problem. Absolutely. Hi, I'm Megan. I'm from Catholic Campus Ministry. We're just a church group on campus. We do like social stuff in church on Sunday. <laughs> I wasn't here for building the shack, but I'm friends with the people that did build it. <laughs> are you planning on spending the night one day this week? No, I can't spend the night this week, so I'm only here for two hours. What are you guys planning on doing to get people to donate to your shack instead of other shacks? We're just going to smile and wave and be polite instead of, you know, running them down. <laughs> other groups are doing some more aggressive tactics. Why do you think that yours will work and not theirs? Well, I mean, you know, we're a church group, so we like to be polite and, you know, not make people uncomfortable. So I think that you're more likely to donate if you like the person that's asking you. Hi, my name is Devin Kaler. And what shack are you a part of? I'm part of the Thomas Jefferson Scholars and Ben Franklin Scholars Shack. 
And would you please describe your location on NC State's campus? Um, we're right in that little cross pathway in front of Boston, right across from the radio station shack. So um, have you had a pretty successful morning so far, collecting your donations? Yeah, actually, we've been really successful. We've um, been selling cookies for 50 cents, and it's just been going really well. People like cookies? I'm assuming so. They've been buying them. <laughs> so you're right across from WKNC's shack, and um, we have a pretty shacky shack this year. Do you like being across from our shack? Being across from your shack is awesome. You guys play awesome music, and you're a really fun crowd. Are you planning on spending the night in one of the shacks this week? Um, I'll probably spend the night on Monday and Tuesday night. Monday and Tuesday night, so two times in a row. You're pretty involved in the group then? Yeah, I'm actually co-service chair for Thomas Jefferson Scholars, so I'm really into it this year. For Eye on the Triangle, this is Mason Morris and Chris Chaffee. And for I'm the Triangle, I am Chris Chaffee, and we are back live here. I'm with John in the studio. Uh, hey, how's it going? Doing well. Yeah, good. Um, so basically, this week uh, is Shackathon, as you've been hearing, and this is our little Shackathon-themed show. We are one of the media sponsors of that very event, and we wanted to make sure that Shackathon is seen. In the, I, I really find that Shackathon is almost as exciting as Christmas. <laughs> I'm serious. This is like Shackathon week is almost as good as Christmas. It because- is really fun to see everything transformed when you get out there on Monday morning for the first time, or even if you are there helping setting up. I, you know, I wasn't able to do it this weekend, but it sounded like a lot of fun from everybody involved. And for the listeners out there, you still have a chance to get out there and support a really worthy cause. Yeah, absolutely. And there's a chance for you to go out there and hand your pocket change over to one of the very friendly uh, students that might hassle you, but, you know, you just got to do it. Uh, or say you even uh, even the student government shack and the Caldwells this year accept credit cards. So I, really? I don't have cash is no longer an excuse. Yeah, I've used that once or twice in the past, I'm ashamed to say. But that's about as close as you'll hear us getting to a pledge drive. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, uh, we also wanted to talk briefly about the event that WKNC is having during Shackathon. It is uh, Brett Harris, who's part of the uh, Drug Horse Co- uh, the Collective, is having an acoustic set out there. Um, on Thursday at 7.30 p.m., right in front of the WKNC Shack, which is located to the right side of the uh, brickyard as you get towards the pretty oak trees. And uh, we didn't have anything like that last year, did we? No, we did not have anything oh, like that. Well, we did have a we did have a shack last year. Uh, well, of course, there's always been a shack. But. Right. We, we, we had a concert last year, not well attended. Uh, it was uh, my idea. But uh, this year, hopefully, Brett Harris will be much better... Uh, He's uh, quite the character. but um, So did you hear that? Once in a lifetime. Yep, once in a lifetime. 7.30 p.m. on Thursday afternoon. Welcome back to Eye on the Triangle. I'm John Boyer. Time for sports. I'm joined by Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber from Technician. Of course, if you have a pulse, you know that it's been a very good week for the Wolfpack. We're off to a 3-0 and start in football. So go ahead and bring us up to speed on the game. Yeah, uh, big game last weekend. By far the hardest team State had played in their first three games with Cincinnati coming to town, and Cincinnati was overmatched start to finish. State really looked great. A couple of long drives in in the first half. I believe they were both in the first quarter, actually. 90-plus uh, yard drives. Russell was really, really sharp, targeted Jarvis Williams a lot in the first half, but completed passes to 11 different receivers by games in, which is tremendous. Uh, really a scary thought for opposing defenses if he's going to spread the wealth like that. Usually you think six or seven receivers is mixing it up. For him to have hit 11 different pass catchers Thursday night was huge. I haven't even touched on the defense yet. Taylor, what did you see out of that side of the ball? I know I was excited about it. 
Oh, uh, defensively, I mean, they look nice. They defended the spread, which is something we had a lot of trouble against last year. I remember Duke offhand last year when they came in, Thaddeus Lewis just spread off or spread offense really tore us apart, and we defended it well. Uh, kept stayed at home really. Forced their quarterback, Zach Caleros, to beat us through the air. We contained him, not let him run. And, I mean, we played well outside of – and, I mean, you got to think, outside of one huge play where they had in the uh, first half where they threw that 68-yard pass to their uh, tight end. I mean, that was just a breakdown in coverage. And then outside of that, and then the two touchdowns late in the game that made the game look a little more respectable than it was, was both when the second – a lot of the second team was in. None of the linebackers were in the game, so – the defense looked well, really, outside of one play, played unbelievable. Yeah, I touched on the offense to open it up, but I was more thrilled by what I saw out of that defense. Just the energy level, the fun I had watching that defense, I hadn't seen in a long, long time. Guys were flying around, blitzing. There's just nothing like a defense that brings that kind of energy. Tackles for losses, turnovers. Um, Tony Pike, or excuse me, Tony Pike's gone now. Zach Calaris for Cincinnati really couldn't breathe, and it had just been a long, long time since I'd seen State's defense do that. I'm talking about back in the Amato days. Everybody thinks about Rivers. There were some great defenses then with some pro players, and I hadn't seen the energy on the defensive side of the ball like that yeah. since those Rivers days. So oh, that, that's what had me pumped. I wasn't surprised to see Russell Wilson throw for a big night. He's done it before. He'll do it again. But it's, the way this defense is playing is – it's hard for me to put words to, to how excited I am about about what I'm seeing out of the guys uh, stopping other teams as opposed to scoring. Oh, yeah, and the big thing, too. I mean, Nate looked like the Nate of old. He was flying around out there, making tackles, led the team in tackles. He was all over the place and didn't look like he did in those first two games. He let the game come to him. He flew. He wasn't timid about it. He was in on all the time. Gave us a little scare when he was on the ground for a little bit early in that uh, first half, but got back onto the field and just put, played the best game he has since he's been back. Yeah, I think if he continues to play at that level and maybe even get a little bit better, I, I still didn't quite think he was the native old. We, we can maybe argue about that, but I still thought he was maybe a little quieter than he was in 2008. If and when he gets to that form with what Cole and Manning have already done, if all three of those guys are playing at that level, that's a that's as good a linebacker core as you'll find. You talk about State's passing game being up there in the country, that might be a nationally prominent linebacking mm-hmm. core should uh, all three of those players play like that. The upside's through the roof. Terrell Manning was as good as they got in high school, and he's starting to look like that here. Audie Cole was the star against Central Florida, made several big plays against uh, Cincinnati as well, and we all know what Nate can do. So you put those three at the same position group, and it's it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Coming up next, a big challenge, uh, first ACC game going down to Georgia Tech. We had the opportunity to see how Georgia Tech played this weekend when they were here at Carolina. Your thoughts about how the style of game is going to have to change? Oh, yeah. Georgia Tech's going to be a huge test, just like Cincinnati's going to be just a big a test, test. They've won seven straight ACC matchups, and they come in with an offense that we will see that nobody really runs except for Georgia Tech, a few, which is that option uh, offense led by senior quarterback Josh Nesbitt. And that is going to be a key. It's going to be a whole different type of game planning for this game where we ha- I mean it's going to be run 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 you got a misdirection all that kind of thing and like Tyler was saying the linebackers are going to play a huge part in this game they can't lose track of the ball they're going to have to follow up because it's going to be going all over the place and Nesbitt's a great quarterback and like you saw against Carolina it's it's tough to stop once they get it clicking yeah, and it's interesting to me, a lot of weeks, I at least, you know, and a lot of state fans do too, they think they know how state matches up. Okay, this team's going to be a, a primarily run team, a conventional offense. This is what we've done against running teams. Or a team's going to wing it, throw it, you know, through the air a lot. 
This is how we played against the pass. We have no idea how State's going to handle the option. The last time State played Georgia Tech was in 2006. Paul Johnson had not installed that offense at Georgia Tech yet. Um, I mean, Taylor touched on this, but it really is hard to explain just how unique Georgia Tech's offense is. They throw it less than ten times a game. When they do, they go way down the field. I, O'Brien said this several times in his press conferences. We, they average about 20 yards per completion. They had a first-round receiver last year in, in Thomas, who's now gone. But they, they get it done through the air when they want to. And so many interesting things about playing against the option. It's the mental thing. And it's also an attrition test with the defensive linemen and the linebackers. You know, it's not good enough to play good against the option for a half because Georgia Tech can run for 350 yards and a half. So, uh, you know, if if you play well, you play well, you play well, you give up a play, it's just really tough. And State won't know how the defense has performed until the final whistle blows and they're on the plane on the way back up here because that offense can go off at any time, even if you have been playing well against it in, in stretches. It's still not. It's not over until it's over with the way those guys keep plugging. Yeah, it's going to be a real big key is being disciplined on the defensive line, staying in your gaps, flowing the the entire team, flowing to the ball, finding it, picking it up, whether it's with Nesbitt running, whether he's pitching the ball, misdirections, end arounds, all that sort of thing is the things Georgia Tech does. And, I mean, I'm sure it's a fun offense for them to play in. And it just it creates so unique matchups because, I mean, no one does it anymore. I mean, Georgia Tech's one of maybe – two or three teams that run it in the Division One football. And it's just, I mean, it's going to be a huge task for the uh, NC State defense to step up and just another key game for them and another chance for them to just show how much they have improved from this year compared to last. You know what, Taylor, though? I, I really like State's chances going down to Atlanta. Georgia Tech won the ACC championship last year, but they have not looked sharp early. They struggled with Carolina. It's hard to tell what exactly Carolina's got because they had a team still that missing was supposed a ton to be of players. Good. They're missing a ton of players. They still got some guys there, so it's hard to say. You know, what's it mean when you play Carolina tight? Because Carolina gave LSU a game. But the one thing I know that State by no means is the prohibitive underdog in this game. Georgia Tech lost to a Kansas team. That's awesome. Kansas's other two games. I mean, maybe they're just an up and down team that's going to beat top teams one week and lose to bottom feeders the next. Kansas, I believe. Believe lost to North Dakota State yep. and then was not competitive correct. against Southern Miss. They lost so, to Southern Miss. Yeah. So uh, Southern Miss is a, is a tough team, a middle conference team that very well could give State a chance. You know that's not embarrassing, but a big loss to them and an all, and you combine that with a loss to North Dakota State, you wonder what Turner Gill has out in Lawrence that beat Georgia Tech. So mm-hmm. with a six three result no less, yeah. held yeah. to a field goal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean that yeah, all- if Kansas can do it. I think we can do it. Mm-hmm. I mean certainly on an optimistic note, Georgia Tech is not the team they were a year ago. Jonathan mm-hmm. Dwyer's gone. Dontarius Thomas is gone. Nesbitt's still there, but that's not the same team that won that AC championship last year. Yeah, they're a, they're a real feast or famine kind of team. You either stop the option and dominate them, or they run all over you and dominate you. I mean, it's one of the two. It's not like you're going to see a decent game and they're going to get a win out of a de- decent game out of that th- out of that type of offense. It's just not possible. You're either going to go out there and you're going to r- just run it down their mouths. They're not going to be able to stop you, and they're going to dominate. Or they're going to come out, be held, and just like I mean, just like that Kansas score three points, the offense won't move. I mean, it's not like they have that passing attack. You stop them on first and second down, you get them into third and long positions where they're working on third and nine, third and eight. Those they're the, not comfortable. Yeah, they're, I mean, that's out of their that's completely out of their comfort zone, and it's just something that State's going to have to do. Just work hard on those first two downs, then they're going to be State's been great so far getting off the field on third downs. Uh, we've beat this to death, but. Georgia Tech's a different offense, so we'll see how it continues this week. But it's been really encouraging the way State's gotten off the field on third downs these past couple weeks, and it's 
typically a little harder to get off the field on third down against a passing team than against a running team. So, you know, we'll see. Well, another thing we saw this weekend are two upcoming uh, games, Virginia Tech and ECU, played each other. Virginia Tech, they've been struggling, barely pulled it out against ECU finally in the second half. What does that tell us about what State faces in the upcoming weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, the, you talk to the players, you talk to the coaches, they're not going to look past to Georgia Tech, whatsoever, past Georgia Tech, towards the Virginia Tech game whatsoever. But, I mean, coming in, everyone had predicted Virginia Tech to win the ACC easily. I mean, they had Terod Taylor, everyone thought, is going to turn, just turn that final step, make that final leap into becoming the quarterback everyone thought he was. They got Ryan Williams, who was the ACC player of the year last year. And so, I mean, they have the talent. It's just seemed they've struggled. I know the big thing and the thing that really makes me optimistic about State's chances is that defense. They are young and very inexperienced. I mean, Boise State, they tore them apart through the air. And I think Russell Wilson, I mean, and all those receivers, like you said, he's got 11 different targets. I mean, he can throw to people, and people are going to be open. It's not like he they can bunch up on Jarvis Williams. You look hit Jarvis, he'll go to Owen Spencer. You got I mean, they can't guard everyone and he's just got too many weapons and I think we have, I mean I think we have a good chance against Virginia Tech. Do you know offhand what our record is against Virginia Tech? Uh do not. It hasn't mm-hmm. been pretty against anybody in the ACC since mm-hmm. O'Brien's taken over. Two and six last year, four and four two years ago, three and five three years ago. So pretty much haven't been beating many people yeah. from the ACC. I don't remember the last time we beat Virginia Tech. I think it was when Marcus Stone was here. I know and I know they'll be looking for avenging that loss they took uh last year. I mean that was a that was a whooping from the very beginning of the game to the end. One one thing about Virginia Tech, they they appear to be down, but this is a team that doesn't struggle this much. They never struggle this much early. A loss to James Madison is unheard of up in Blacksburg. But mm-hmm. they play their best football in October and November every year, and we're getting them a little early, but we're getting them in week five. We're not getting that team that lost to James Madison in week two or three. They're going to be better. They're going to have a little bit of momentum. And... Um, Virginia Tech's got talented guys on the defensive side of the ball. I refuse to believe those players don't have something going for them. Frank Beamer's defense is one of the top in the country every year. So I think what those guys are suffering from is inexperience. And, who I mean, it, it comes together quick with, with young guys. Sometimes those first couple of games are a night and day difference from, you know, maybe week four to week five, or, or I guess it'll be week five when we take on Virginia Tech. But that defense might be looking more like the Virginia Tech defense you're accustomed to seeing. So uh, it'll be interesting. Well, the Georgia Tech game kicks off at 12 on Saturday, and Virginia Tech time is still TBD because of network schedules. Guys, real quick, what else do we see going on in the world of Wolfpack sports? Well, um, let's see. We got I know men's soccer team is getting ready to take on Presbyterian tomorrow night. It's going to be a, a, a game they need to win. They definitely need to win. They're 2-3. and three. They lost to uh, Maryland this past weekend, who is a top-ranked, I think they're number five in the nation they're right now. They lost to them 3-1. to one. So, I mean, not a very good game, but this is definitely a game they need to win coming out. Um, Volleyball's got UNC tonight at home at 7 o'clock, if anybody can make it out there. I know volleyball games, I'll be honest, I haven't made it to any, but I've heard the atmosphere is really cool. and uh, They're a lot better this year than they've a, been A state Carolina game in any sport is something to watch, and that volleyball team's got a whole new program. I'm... Uh, not on top of it, can't name as many girls as I probably should be able to, but they've got a lot of transfers that have come in and turned that thing around. This is the best start volleyball's been off to in 10 or 15 years. So let's uh, you know, head out there tonight, see if they can get a win over the Tar Heels. Also some news for Andrew Brackman. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Andrew Bragman, former NC State basketball player and baseball player, more baseball, uh, was drafted by the New York Yankees and was just, ca- I mean, called up technically. Kind of what the Yankees do is they like to, late in the season when the rosters expand, they like to call up some of their young guys who they have a feeling is going to be with them later on in the se- or later on years down, get them a taste of that major league experience. But at the same time, they're not really planning on playing him whatsoever. They have their roster set as they're heading in the post season they don't want to throw a rookie into that kind of atmosphere that postseason atmosphere so I think they're bringing him up he's going to travel with the team work with the coaches do batting practice pitch on uh, pitch on a regular schedule and just kind of get that feel for the major league level but no hey nevertheless it's it's a great opportunity for him and it's just a great accomplishment well we had a very interesting and a very happy week for most Wolfpack fans hopefully we'll come back next week talk about some more successes. Talk about a 4 0 start. Let's do it. Let's hope so. All right. We'll have you back, guys. Thank you, uh, Tyler Everett, Taylor Barber from Technician. Welcome back. The time is 7.41. We're joined by our VIP interview here in the studio, student body president Kelly Hook. We'll come back after the break. We're going to go out to some music, then come back, get your questions ready. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, WKNCEOT, WKNC881, Gmail. It's uh, public affairs at WKNC.org. We're also on Facebook. Look for Eye on the Triangle. And that's Kelly. And if you've been listening to us, thanks for sticking with us. If you're just joining us, we're here in the studio with Student Body President Kelly Hook. Hello. How's it going, Kelly? It's going well. How are you guys? Not bad. What have you been up to? Uh, Actually, I just got back from a new organization that just got started on campus called the Collegiate Entrepreneurs Organization, started by a guy named Jonathan Gregory. So that was pretty interesting. What did you guys talk about at that meeting? I think they went over some potential entrepreneurial endeavors to pursue, but I showed up a little bit late to talk about student government and some things that we're doing and potential things we could collaborate on. So. There's a great tradition of businesses coming out of NC State, so they're trying to get that started, what, at the undergraduate level? Yes, yeah. They had Ruckus Pizza, I think, as their speaker because Ruckus was started here at NC State by some graduates. And a delicious pizza place it is. Um, so let's talk about some of the initiatives that uh, you are talking about this year. What kind of initiatives are is going to be coming out of the executive branch this coming year? Wow, uh, I don't even know where I to where to begin. Well, just this semester alone, we have several projects, and I'm really fortunate to work with an awesome team. One of the things I'm most excited about is something called the Professor Series and a guy named Taylor Hyatt, who is the Academics Commission Chair. He's going to be working to uh, send out a list of nominations where students can nominate their favorite professors, people they think are really charismatic and awesome professors that really engage their students. And uh, we'll be doing a speaker series in March. And those professors, which will be three of them, will give a speech based on what would be their last lecture. So that's really exciting, and I'm excited to hear some professors that maybe I wouldn't get the chance to hear uh, because I'm in College of Humanities and Social Sciences, so I'm sure engineering has cool professors as well. Um, Some other things we're doing. Sustainability has some really cool projects coming up. Uh, Think Outside the Brick in particular. I know, Chris, you were involved with last year's winner for Think Outside the Brick. I was indeed uh, we had the Soul Garden Win, um, which basically is a project over on Centennial Campus. We have a garden out there, and it, it looks great. we got all kinds of squashes. The pumpkins are huge. Thanks, by the way, for the help, Kelly. So what uh, What this year are you guys going to be doing differently with the Think Outside the Break competition? 
Well, we added $1,000 because the Office of Sustainability is collaborating with us, and we thank you very much for that to them. Uh, Rachel Conley is the head of sustainability this year at Student Government, and she is doing an awesome job. She also just had a workshop that collaborated all of the sustainability groups on campus. But um, basically, the SG Sustainability Commission is hosting the second annual Think Outside the Break competition, and it's open to all students. You submit a one-page proposal pitching a project or idea on how to make NC State's campus more sustainable. Uh, applications are due November 15th, and you can check out the students.ncsu.edu website for more information. Now I wanted to remind our listeners, if you want to uh, get a question into Kelly while we have her here in the studio until 8 o'clock, go ahead and give us a tweet, WKNC-EOT or WKNC-881. Now, uh, Kelly, uh, here comes the hard-hitting questions Uh-oh. about sustainability. <laughs> what are you doing to divert 65% of the total waste promised by the university to divert it from the landfills by 2015? Wow. Me as an individual? No. I'm, I'm talking <laughs> well, about... No. Right. Well, actually, yeah. I mean... Well, Lead actually, example, this, you know. this came up because uh, the recently in the dining halls, there's been some uh, exciting composting activity, and I heard uh, I heard there was uh, some student government involvement, maybe. Well, I have actually five appointments on that dining committee, and one of them is Rachel Conley, who is the head of sustainability, and I know she's working hard on that project. Um, But she's got a lot of initiatives that deal particularly with recycling, composting, things like that, and we've had a ton of student input. In fact, you can go to students.ncsu.edu, and there's a provide feedback comment form on that website, and we get input all the time, and recycling, sustainability efforts are probably one of the most common things that students send in to us and we would be open to ideas. Certainly, I don't have the answer, I guess, to that question, but uh, I would love any student input on how we could better do that. Well, oh, and uh, speaking of money, I heard that uh, there was this thing called appropriations that uh, oh, yes. that ends on the 23rd. What's the, what's the big deal with appropriations? Senate, Student Senate does appropriations, and that does end this Thursday at 11.59 p.m., and student organizations across campus can request money. If you go, again, to students.ncsu.edu, you'll see an opportunity to click on appropriations and apply for that money. You have to get a lot of things in order to make sure the application process goes smoothly, but... I highly recommend, if you're a student organization, to go to that website and request some funding help. Now, uh, now there's uh, new Senate blood, I hear, in the Senate that, uh, <laughs> that just got elected yesterday or the day before, maybe. Yeah, there were some elections on the 16th regarding the senior class gift. Yes. Do we know anything were... about that? You know, that's funny. The senior class president, Chrissy Craig, is actually my roommate. <laughs> Small world. She, I'm not positive on the senior class gift that is her endeavor, but I'm pretty sure she is extending that voting process to get more people to vote. Was there a low turnout? I think there might have been a low turnout, but I'm I'm honestly not exactly positive on how that all went down. I'm sure she's going to be blowing that up soon. So what other voting opportunities do we have going forward? Other voting opportunities? Are there any? Not until April, I don't really think. Um, The freshman Senate's already got elected like yesterday. We'll have to wait a while before we decide to schedule any debates. It was a lot of fun doing that last year here on Iron the Triangle. I will say one thing that would be good for students to know about, though, is the tuition forum. We've never had a tuition forum, to my knowledge, um, but the administration this year has agreed to do a tuition forum, which is open to all students. It's going to be September 30th, and they did it at 7 p.m., so it doesn't conflict with classes for for most people. Uh, It's going to be 7 p.m. in Tally Ballroom. 
tuition forum. Please come out. If you've got concerns about a potential tuition increase, now would be your chance to voice it to the Tuition Review Advisory Committee. Uh, I sit on that committee, and I definitely need student help to let administrators know how we feel about tuition increase. Certainly they're aware of our concerns, but they'd love to hear it from us. What do you see going around that we can do better? What, what disappoints you? What inspires you to do what you do every day? Well, certainly infrastructure on the brickyard could be a little better, and that's getting improved. But I would say as a campus, one thing we can do better is talk more often and more loudly about how amazing NC State is. Um, n- not often enough do we sing NC State praises. <clears throat> and we were talking earlier about how many entrepreneurs come out of here, how many great ideas, inventions AstroTurf. AstroTurf. John Tesh. LED lights. You name it. Uh, the press secretary for the president right now. Exactly. NC State graduates. We need to say it more. People don't know it enough. But I think this is going to be a great year for us. So that, that kind of went into my next question. You know, what is what is going well? What is going right? Well, I don't know if it's just me, but there seems to be a different vibe on campus this year. Freshmen are extremely engaged in all the events that we've had so far. We've had amazing turnout. Um, anywhere from pep rallies to the silent disco that Wolfpack Welcome Week hosted uh, in IRC. And I, I would say one thing that's going well is less apathy on campus. I mean, granted, it's early on. It's only September, but the vibe is a good one. You think that has anything to do with the 3-0 start in football? I think it does. Do you care to give us a prediction, a call on the Georgia Tech game this Saturday? What? As far as score goes? If you want to. <laughs> Uh, no, I don't have any, you know, I'm not a football, you know, expert. She's but. too busy for hey, football. Hey, that's okay. I wouldn't know what to tell you guys either. And that's just a reminder to our listeners. If you do have a question for Kelly, we've got seven more minutes. I would say that i um, doing well in the football rankings. Thanks to my athletic commissioner, Jeffrey Johnson. He's helping me out. Oh yes. So let's talk a little about the athletic commissioner. I know they're doing lots of stuff this year um, at the football games. There's lots of new things that they're doing. Well, Jeffrey, uh, he does a ton of things to help out students for the football games, and he worked really hard to get the student seating at the lower bowl this year. But he has been pretty much swamped filtering student concerns about ticketing, to be honest. We've gotten a huge amount of ticketing requests, and he has been really swamped with students who have been upset that they haven't received a ticket. And uh, he would probably like me to say that, Although there's a weighted system, it's still a lottery. And when we have over 4,000 extra requests, um, whether you have more loyalty points than someone else, it's still a lottery. And uh, we can't can't get everybody in, which really is unfortunate. There are always complaints about the football system. I think until we can build a stadium with you know 500,000 seats, not everybody's going to be able to get in. So just going back personally, now how long have you been on the job as student body president? I was elected last April, and I was chief of staff for our former student body president. So it feels like a long time. That was back in April. Were you sworn in back in? I was sworn in back in April. So uh, since last April and all through summer. So you you had the opportunity to adjust to life, taking classes, and have those responsibilities in government gradually. Um, no. To be honest, it really hit me after summer a little differently. I am struggling, to say the least, to balance my classes, but I am making a valid attempt that's good to hear a valiant effort from kelly hook uh we actually heard you had a test tomorrow what class is that that is an online class called ancient medieval science which is actually really cool it's taught by dr riddle i really enjoy the class i just wish 
it wasn't online. I mean, are there ever days where you're just like, wow, I wish I didn't have all of this work to do. I just want to be a freshman again. I just want to you know, wake up in the morning and have a clean schedule. Well, I always wish I didn't have to go to class. I, I think <laughs> that goes for everybody. Yeah, but you, no, I, but I, you I, love your job. I'm extremely happy to be where I'm at. Certainly it's stressful and the position is what you make it, but I'm having a blast and uh, I hope that students feel that I'm doing a good job. So name the best thing about being student body president this year. <laughs> the best thing uh, would have to be how many students I get to meet. I guess it affords me the opportunity to introduce myself and not be awkward. Well, I guess it's still kind of awkward, but. We're reporters. We have to go out and uh, interview people on the streets as well, and sometimes it is very difficult. It can be strange to just go up and say, hey, my name is John Boyer, and I need to ask you a question about this story. And and the weirdest thing is John Boyer and I have the same news class, and we uh, ended up having to uh, do a story about like a public event, and when we had to get our, our, our report or like our, our the, the, the quotes – we had to get their phone number as well. And so it's like going up to someone you don't know and be like, hey, can I get this quote? And can I also have your phone number? And there's some very confused, uncomfortable stares that we had. I think you were using the pickup line? Yeah, it's like, very, it's like, oh, I want to ask you about hopscotch, and I also want to call you later. That Well, that is a useful thing, though, in journalism, to be able to say, hey, uh, if I do end up with a question or something we didn't cover when I'm working on this, can I give you a call and get some more answers? Get to know you better. Because nobody wants to be misquoted. You know, what's worse? True. Well, on the radio, we don't have that problem because it's all just live on the air. And That's correct. It is live right now. It's <laughs> it, 7.57. It is, it is 7.57. We are approaching the top of the seconds. hour. That's right. Hey, well, I, that's... Wanted to, I wanted to take a second to say thank you to Matt Gromlick, who is the chair of Transportation Commission, and he just helped get a new route for engineering uh, bus system, engineering route three. So... Thank you to him, because I know he worked really hard on that. And he and Zach Lego, the Centennial Campus Commission Chair, are working extra hard to get dining out on Centennial. That bubble that's in the brickyard right now will be moving to Centennial. Oh, really? So, yes. Oh, really? Okay. Exciting news. So that $500,000 is not gone forever. It's moving to Centennial. Where will right. it be? A good question. We're still working on that. And it will be, like, somewhere where you can get food as well as, like, sit and eat? Or it's just... It's going to be food and food as well. Wow. That would be the point. You know, I haven't actually <laughs> been in the bubble. I haven't either. Really? Oh, it's awesome. Is it? No. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say, more or less awesome than Harrelson Hall? Oh, about equal. Really? Then it must be <laughs> devastating. Well, I've, I've seen the air conditioner and it looks like it's working, so at least it's not really hot. Mother Nature not cooperating with as hot as it's been. Are you guys going to the Live It Up Festival? Yes, we will be there. And actually, yep. I did a story last year on the Joe Cox color wall. It will be re-unveiled on the 25th. You will be able to see the Technicolor spectacle of that shining over from D.H. Hill Library out the first <laughs> floor window. And we hope to have some sound bites from that event, too. I so wait. if you turn out there and you see somebody show up and say, hey, I'm a reporter. What's your name and can I have your phone number? No. Hey, maybe they're not crazy. Maybe they're not hitting on you. Or maybe, maybe they're they just are. doing their job. Or maybe they are. I uh, hope we didn't inspire imposters. Well, anyway, regardless, <laughs> thank you so much, Kelly, and I uh, hope we can have you back sometime. Talk about some more issues and maybe some more substantive issues. 
Here we have questions. Really glad you're able to come in on such short notice. But and also thank you, Chris, and thanks all of you listening out there and participating in tonight's program. Join us next week. We've got a recycling theme. Chris will take us behind the scenes on the journey of a bottle as it makes its way through the recycling system. A story he's worked very hard on and is very excited about. Here's sound bites for more campus events. Results from the Georgia Tech game with Tyler and Taylor. Mark will let you know how to recycle items from your fridge into awesome eats. We like hearing from you. Do you have any questions, comments, suggestions, story ideas, complaints, issues, things you want covered? We're here for you. Keep in touch with Eye on the Triangle on Twitter at WKNC EOT or at WKNC 88.1 Facebook, Public Affairs at WKNC.org, and our new voicemail feedback line, 919-628-0869. That's 628-0869. And if we can actually think of some little phone acronym to make that easier to remember, we will do that eventually. A big thanks to our guest tonight, Kelly Hook, the NCSU Student Body President. For my producer and assistant public affairs director, Chris Chaffee, reviewer Mark Herring, correspondents Jacob Downey and Mason Morris, sportscasters Tyler Everett and Taylor Barber, GM Tom Anderson, and our opinion maker, Evan Garris, who couldn't join us tonight because he's busy stitching inexpensive lunch meats into Lady Gaga's next costume, and me, your host, John Boyer. Have a great night and stay tuned for After Hours.